Welcome back to Crack On. I am so happy to be back and bringing you your weekly dose of Cracking On. If you're new here, welcome. Thank you for joining us. This is the podcast dedicated to times in life where we had to overcome and find the silver lining, or as I like to call it, finding the crack in Cracking On. Since season one, I've had a longer break than anticipated, but that has only motivated me to come back bigger than ever. I am so excited about season two. We have some amazing guests, enlightening stories, and a lot of crack in store. So it was a no-brainer to start off with my first guest. He is someone I've admired for a long time and our chat exceeded my expectations. I'm not going to harp on too long with a big intro because it's all in our chat. But before I leave you with this interview, I would like to remind everyone that I have a live show coming up in London this month in the Vaults Festival. My stand-up show titled Here Comes the Ride is taking place on the 28th of January and you can purchase tickets via the link in my Instagram bio. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's at 4.30, which I think is a perfect time because you can have a little drink at brunch before, you can have a drink after, or you don't have to drink at all. Just bring your fun, loud laughing friends and we're going to have a great time. Okay, enough about me. I'm leaving you with this week's guest, Brian Dowling. Okay, so Brian, I thought I would run by you how you would like to be introduced. Here, I've written some notes, but we can... wow. Because I can do an intro separately to this, okay? So I've written two-time winner of Big Brother, first in season two in 2001, and then returning to win Ultimate Big Brother host of the incredible podcast Death Becomes Him, TV presenter and all-round icon, husband and now father to beautiful baby Blake. Sold, you have it. Had the word icon, dad. (laughs) Yeah, good. Go with that one. Okay, love it. Perfect. (laughs) Okay, so let's start with how are you and where are you joining us from? Yeah, I am. As you said at the intro, I'm a, a new parent. Blake is, I always forget my daughter's age. This is so bad. I'm nearly, <laughs> I'm nearly 99% sure she's 12 weeks old today. Oh my so today, God. Yeah, 12 weeks old today. She's born September 1st. I think that's 12 weeks, but she's technically not three months until December 1st. Okay. So yeah, she fed this morning at quarter to four. That's why I look slightly disheveled and she's been kind of mooching since seven. So I am coming to you live from our home here in County Kildare. Actually, Arthur and I moved, I was living in, I moved to London, the UK in 98 uh, no, that is a lie. I moved to Stansted Airport in 98. And then uh, that was the UK, which is correct. And then I didn't move back home full time until 2020. <gasps> I was away for a long time. So Arthur and I are still getting used to living in Ireland. And for fear of saying the C word, it was a shit show, as we all know. Everything was yeah. closed here in yeah. Ireland. So we couldn't really do anything so for Arthur and I now we're able to get out and travel and Arthur's like oh my god Ireland's amazing or why do we go on foreign holidays I'm like the fucking weather is always better yeah, yeah, yeah. Ireland's great but we need the sun so um yeah coming to you from our home here in Strathlin County Kildare I'm originally from Rathangan in Kildare so my sisters and all my family are like 25 minutes from me and I think Aww. that was always important when we knew we wanted to have a family that yeah. Blake would be near all her aunts and all her cousins, Arthur's family are in France, but I was like, fuck that. I'm, yeah. I'm, worried, I'm, I'm worried about me and my family. I'm that selfish, Marie. <laughs> no, I'd be the same, but, but both me and my husband are both from Dublin. So I think we'd be agreed on moving home. But did you always know that you wanted to move home when you were going to have a child? 
Well, there was always two things I knew. And one was when I was growing up, I knew I always had to leave. That was very strict. It was very, I always knew for me to be who I wanted to be. I was in Rathangan, you know, and obviously I was coming to terms with my sexuality and being gay and all of that. And I knew I just had to get away. But Mm. I also knew when I needed to come home. It's a very odd thing. I... In the back of my mind, I like it was kind of a fantasy, like a, a Walt Disney fantasy, that I would settle in Ireland with my husband and mm. our children, even when I was single and didn't have a husband or a child. And plus, I never knew having a child would be, you know, possible for me. But I always it was two things that was certain: when I had to leave and when I needed to come home. It was just something that I always knew. Yeah. You know, I had to go away to be myself, to be who authentic, who I want to be, and have my struggles and successes and fails and do all of that, and then almost come home. And during the pandemic in twenty twenty. Uh, Arthur and I moved into my mum and dad's house and we were in the room I had as a child growing up. And that was very odd to yeah. be in that room, you know, with my husband and my mum, you know, had passed away and my mum wasn't there and was living with my dad, my sister, Tara, her husband, John, and their little baby, Harvey, who we're obsessed with. So the pandemic was a real, I suppose it gave Arthur and I a time to kind of stop and go. And during yeah. the pandemic, we we obviously were, had a laptop watching movies and we were in my mum and dad's house. It was very odd. It was almost mm-hmm. like being a student and I was never a student or being a college. It was that yeah. odd kind of feeling. And yeah. it was quite nice, you know, in my 40s to kind of, there was no bills for us. It was very weird. Yeah. You, being independent and living in different countries and, and working, there's a lot of pressure on people. And to have no pressure as we're living at home and my food and my clothes are being washed, it was very odd. You know, the pandemic was was obviously tough on everyone, but it gave us a time to kind of pause, stop, where are we going? What do we want? What's next? And I love wow. when you asked me one question, I've answered about 10 <laughs> No, I love it. Oh my God, listen, this is why you're the dream guest. <laughs> listen, I always, I mean, you mentioned Death Becomes the Podcast. I love a talker. And do you find Irish people talk more? Oh yeah. yeah oh my know. God. It's like tea I'm, drinking. I'm less nervous. Yeah, I'm less nervous when I have an Irish person coming on. Because firstly, there is a shorthand as well. And there's also just, I kind of can sit back and relax, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that's what you want as a host. You want people to kind of give it to you straight. Exactly, exactly. Well, I might as well start with, you know, the first. So obviously I mentioned to prepare two times. I'm sure there's, you you could have a long list, but I like to focus on two just because I don't want to give the guests five hours of listening, you know? (laughs) We'd be recording all day. Yeah. (laughs) So what was the first thing that came to your mind when I mentioned cracking on? You know, a time in life that you had to overcome and maybe find a positive from it. Um, I I suppose the biggest hurdle not to be, you know, morbid. And I suppose when you go on podcasts, is when you talk about death or grief, there is a, a, you know, a complete gear change in it. And I suppose I know, I know. You know why I want to do Death Becomes Him was to talk about grief openly, but also laugh in a sense and be yeah. get people comfortable. So for me, the biggest hurdle in life would have been in 2018 when our mom, I have six sisters, and our mom uh, suddenly passed away in February of 2018. And that is the biggest, was the, was a real... Jesus Christ, like, what's going on? Why is this mm-hmm. happening to me? Why is my life falling apart? I have no control over anything. And I was so controlled before and so planned and so organized when it came to my work and anything I would do. And it was for that, you know, to happen was something to this day, you know, now in 2022, 
I'm still recovering from that. It's very yeah. strange. I almost feel, I've said before that I feel like since losing mom, I, I feel like now I'm living, it's almost like I've, I've left rehab. I feel like I'm living my life very, very differently in oh where gosh, I go, yeah. what I do, who I associate with, because I was very triggered before and grief was, grief was never my friend. And mm -hmm. grief, grief and I now are in a harmonious place with each other, which is a very odd thing to say. It's like I've, I've made peace with grief in a way and grief doesn't fuck with me and I don't fuck with grief. But maybe that's because I am so far into it now. You know, we're years yeah. into it. And I never would have thought, you know, when mom passed in 2018, that my life would have progressed in positive ways that it's had and still had successes and highs because you, you just think, you just think you're, you're never going to get to the end of it. You know, I, yeah. my mom was one of my best friends. I spoke to her 10 times a day, you know, constantly on the phone. I was constantly flying home. She was such an influence in my life. You know, she was a, a full-time mom. She raised seven children. We didn't have money growing up. And, but yet we had absolutely everything when it came to Christmas morning, when it came to Valentine's Day, we got cards and <laughs> our mom was clearly sending us all cards and our handwriting was different <laughs> in all of them. And we were like, Took us ages to work that out as well. And, um, you know, and I think parents give, you know, so much to their children, mom and dads, and you don't really realize it growing up. You always think you're entitled to this. I'm entitled to go on this holiday. I'm entitled to that new bike. I'm entitled to that jumper. I'm entitled to all these brand new school books for school, you know? And it's just to have that, the rug pulled from underneath me, my whole, my whole family is something that you still recover from. You know, but also I do believe in a sense that, you know, mom was a driving force in me moving home. I moved to LA in 2018 when mom passed away. I felt like I just needed, my husband was already living in America, in New York for work. Mm -hmm. And I felt like, what am I doing here in our place in London all alone? You know, my yeah. mom is dead. It took me ages to say the word dead. My mom is dead. You know, it could be me tomorrow. I, I then was very wary of when I would die. I used to never think about death before. Oh my gosh, I, was, I, it, I, never, I never thought about it. I was like, Jesus Christ, that could be me. It could be my dad. It could be one, yeah. one of my sisters or it could be one of my friends. Yeah. And I was so conscious of my interaction with people. And, you know, I, w I suppose in London, I I'm not a cold person, but I would never really approach people I don't know. Or, you know, if people said hello to me, I'd say hello. But I found since losing mom, I was, hello, hi. My interactions with people, I was, I was wanting them to be positive. I was wanting them to be, because I, I learned then through losing mom, Jesus Christ, I never knew what people were going through. I never knew people's struggles. I know, and it's, it's in a way it's selfish and it's so self-indulgent, but things only become aware to you when you go through it. It's very odd, isn't it? Yeah. Very odd. It's like a lot of my friends had lost, my best friend Pip had lost her mom. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry for you. You know, you say all that. And then I stepped away and I was like, to Arthur, I'm like, God, but I, like, I don't know what that feels like, you know, that catastrophic thing. And then it happened to me. I remember mm -hmm. saying to her, all those times I said to you, all the, the shit people say, you've no idea of the turmoil, the emotion. Uh, catastrophic trauma is exactly what it is. And it's the yeah. oddest feeling. Yeah. It's just my whole life changed, my attitude changed. Sometimes I was short tempered and I was like, no, I'm not doing that. Other times I was really loving and I, I was going out more. I remember I was drinking more at one point and doing shots and throwing caution to the wind. And it was, it was 
chaos. And my best friend, Simon Jones, had said to me, he called me aside and he was like, you just need to kind of check yourself a bit because this isn't you. It's like you're, you know, going out and drinking a lot and you know yeah. I like a drink but I'd never drink to overdo the point it of, and you know I never would I mean yeah. I'd always kind of be controlled in a way yeah. and that was because I kind of thought my mom was the one person that would hold me accountable if she seen me in a newspaper yeah I was drunk or in a magazine or saying something online you know you get your shit together don't and I thought when that was going that one person that holds you accountable is gone I should fuck it I could do whatever right you can could... feel like you're just floating and so that no one cares and and no one there's no one to make pride or you know these kind of extreme yeah. thoughts yeah yeah and then it made me think you know i was 39 when we lost mom imagine i was 10 or 11 imagine i, know. I was 15 or 16 you know how that could completely change my life yeah or imagine if i was 15 or 16 and really good and focused and then that happened what would I do? And now if I hear or see, and especially from death becomes, you know, speaking to people who've gone through grief and I wonder how have they gotten over that? And those people inspired me to stand up. And actually our mom was very much like, you know, life goes on. You get out there and you live your life. We all get one shot. And everything I'm saying, it sounds hypocritical, but it's not because I feel you can do it all. I do feel you can grieve, you can be angry, you can be sad, but you can also get up the next day and live your life to the fullest. Obviously, I don't live my life in the same way. You know, say before everything was 100%. It's not anymore because I've lost my mother. So it's, it's very, very different. Mm-hmm. But from now on, I give life a go. Even when I'm exhausted, or tired, or hungover, and my friends are like, oh, we got again tonight. Yeah, we, we will. I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Let, on the holiday. Oh, fuck that. No, I've booked a boozy lunch. We're going. Arthur wants to go sightseeing. We're going. It's all of that stuff. It's just, yeah. it's, but again, you have to crack on. You, you've got two decisions. And one is you lie down, and you just let it win. You let the grief win. You let the darkness consume you and take over. Or two, you get up and you fight. And I stood up with both fists swinging, but behind me, I had loads of people holding me up. And that, that's why I've been very, very lucky. Yeah. I, you know, when you feel like you're just going to go like that, I've had people hold me and support me. All yeah. my family, all my friends, my husband, I've been so blessed. I was afraid initially to talk about mom. I never talked about it when it happened in 2018. Really? Then, yeah, because I was, I, was, I, didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what, how, and then I thought, well, I, sh- I can't show people I'm vulnerable. Yeah. You know, I yeah. can't show publicly because it's too private. It's too private. And then I remember, uh, mom, I was on, I'm not on Snapchat anymore. And I remember I put a video, it was on Instagram. And sometimes you can see, what I didn't realize was if people message you now on Instagram, you can see the last time they messaged you. The mm-hmm. last time this particular person had messaged me was in April 2018. And mom had passed away in February and I went back to London. I was on my own. Mom was in America. And I'm, it's just, I look at it and I, I'm so mortified because I was trying to say thank you to people for their support. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't know what to say. I wasn't articulate enough in talking about grief. I always thought to be that vulnerable publicly was shameful. And I thought because I'm self-employed, and, you know, I work in the public eye as such. I felt like people would be oh, I can't give him a job. Oh, have you seen him? Oh, no, she's lost it after his mom died. No, no, no. So I felt in a way I had to keep it all in. And I'm mm. the eldest of seven. So oh, I was, ma- yeah. I, I, you have to make sure everyone's okay. And yeah. then you get to a certain point where you go, I am like this close, this close to losing yeah. my shit. Yeah. But I, but I do feel you need that to happen 
to then know I now know where to go, not what to do. It's yeah. strange. And for me, yeah. it all happened literally within that year that mum passed away. I remember at my 40th in June, I got absolutely paralytically drunk, you know, ridiculously. Because well, that wasn't very, that wasn't too long after. So she passed no, away in February. Exactly. June is was, still, June. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I remember my husband released 40 balloons. Oh. Of no. course he did. Yeah, you know, and they're in honor of my mom, and I'm like, pass me tequila. But you don't drink yeah. to shut the fuck up and give me the tequila. You yeah. know, and it was very funny. But I feel you need to have those those catastrophic lows and those really, oh shit, did that happen? Yeah. You know, I remember the next day going and I remember being nauseous at mom's grave because I was so hungover. And I remember thinking, my husband was like, this is so shameful. You've got yourself into this situation. And I was like, oh my God, I know, I know. And, but again, I was just so upset she wasn't there and I'm the eldest. And it's not self-indulgent. You're really struggling and you just don't know what to do. And that's the thing. You don't know what to do. And I just felt like, Oh God, what's going And then as soon as I realized, as soon as I realized what I'm going through is very, very normal and how I'm feeling is very, very normal, it's okay yeah. to talk about it. Yeah. Don't be afraid to say I'm struggling. Don't be afraid to say, oh my God, I miss her so much. Mm-hmm. I was reading all her text messages last night. Yeah. You know, or um, I've smelled her clothes or yeah. I miss her perfume. You know, it's it's that stuff. And like even saying that to you now, it's still it's it's still a thing that you just it's you just don't know. And no matter yeah. what age you are, no matter what age you are, you're always going to miss the person you've lost. You yeah. are. And I don't believe people should put a time span on it. I really offended I, right, yeah. when people say, yeah. oh, God, it's been a year. Shouldn't she get over it? It could be 20, 30, 40 years that I may not, if I'm long enough to live to that age, I'm yeah. never going to get over the loss of my mom. End of. Like, end yeah. of. Yeah, because it's the person that, that brought you into the world. I just think as soon as they're gone, life changes forever. It's not going to one day. I think it's interesting what you said is like, it's never 100%. Like I always think of it as if, as if I'm charging my phone and my, because my mom passed away in 2017. So we have a similar timeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And I, I like to think of it as like, okay, life can still be great and I can still live life to the fullest, but it's not 100%. It's like, if I'm, if I'm charging my phone, it can get to 80%. Do you know what I mean? But it's like, as if your phone has some sort of glitch or something and you just can't charge it to 100%. That's how it feels, you know? That's a really good analogy. Yeah, thank you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal that. I'm gonna steal that. You'd be like, oh, I told him that, but you're, to- you know, but you're totally right. That's actually so. That's see, there's such clarity in what you're saying and what I was gabbling about. You're no, totally no. right. It's a very, isn't, but isn't it so strange that you know you and I, you know, don't know each other, but just by but the loss of a parent, whether it be a yeah. mom or a dad, it's that instant thing where you know the person you're talking to gets it. And oh like my you god, can, I know. You can nod your head away, but it's yeah. so strange. If anyone before had lost a parent. I'd nod my head, but I had no fucking idea what I was nodding my head to. Yeah. You're trying to sympathize with them. Yeah. But you never know until it happens. It's an odd thing. Yeah. So odd. And do you not find Christmases? Do you not find this a certain time of year the hardest? Is it birthdays? Is it Christmases? Or is it what do you yes. find the toughest? Well, interestingly, when I was researching you, I discovered that our moms had the same birthday, Brian. <laughs> so they're both Christmas moms. No, yes, December yeah. 10th. No, yeah. wow. Yeah. Oh my goodness. What age was your mom when she passed, Maureen? She was 55. 
Oh and wow, she, so she young. Away and yeah. So I mean, uh, it's funny you say because my my brother was twelve. So it it really yeah. is like it's life changing. But at the same time, then you think of someone who's in their fifties or sixties losing their parent, and they find it just as hard. And they're probably looking at us, being like, "Oh God, but what if I was in my twenties or my thirties? You know." So it's all relative. And like as you said, it is like a. I think of life now, like as if I was writing a book, it's like, okay, it's before my mom died and after my mom died. And there's like yeah. two different, it's like part one and part two. That's how it feels from now totally. on. You know? Yeah. But I can imagine you're the same as me. I expected my, my mom had me at 21. So it was feasible for me that my mom would be at my 40th, my 50th, potentially my 60th. Yeah. You know, all of my life growing up, I had all of this, you know, I'm just so lucky she walked me down the aisle the day we got married. So lucky that that happened. Oh, I know. I'm so yeah. sad she's not met her, you know, her granddaughter, Blake. Yeah. You know, I'm so sad she's not met Harvey, her other grandson. But, you know, that's part of life. And I think I now live my life, and I don't know if you're the same, in honour of my mom and everything that I do. Yeah. And I try to shine brightly for her. And I try to, I'm going to be the best husband, the best parent, the best yeah. brother, the best friend I can be for her. Listen, yeah. I'm going to make fuck ups. That's just life. No one's perfect. But you just have to try and just keep going because if not, what's the point in my mom not being here and me just not living my life to the fullest? And, yes. you know, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. But also some people can't, fight on and I also understand that some people yeah. are so you know defeated and it's so consumed with it and I've always said especially on Death Becomes Him I am not a therapist I am not professionally trained and I would always say ask for help if you feel you are struggling and you can't get out of bed you can't brush your teeth you can't go to the shower when I felt like that I had my husband off there dragging me to do it you know mm -hmm. some people don't have that yeah. don't be afraid to ask for help and yeah. don't be afraid to go and, and speak to someone okay so what I wanted to ask you is because obviously you channeled your grief into something which is so positive and has helped so many people and death becomes him is a really popular podcast but how what i wanted to ask you because i'm so curious in a way it's similar i talk about death a lot on this podcast because it is such a thing that people need to crack on with however it's not guaranteed that week in week out i'm gonna have to be talking about it okay how did you handle hearing all people like all these stories each week and being able to process it and then not have it kind of affect your whole day and, and you know, the way you went about it. When we recorded the first season of the show, it was, it was kind of, it was a way it was like an experiment for me in a sense to mm -hmm. hear other people's stories and for me to compare and go, Oh, am I dealing with this normally? And basically the first season was just me sitting down with people I knew or, and friends and saying, yeah. do you mind coming on? And people I knew that I had lost a parent. Season one was just about parental, parental loss. From, yeah. We came up with the idea in a Easter of 2018. I didn't record the first episode till December 2019. It took okay. me nearly a year and a half to have the balls to go into the studio, I had a little notebook. I remember the first day I went in, I recorded with my husband. Uh, he lost his father, um, Hakup. And I remember writing down just one note and the one line said, will I ever be me again? And that was, that was the whole, that was the whole thing for season one of the show was just me wondering. I didn't expect it to go to number one. I didn't think it would have the success it did. You know, I found out from 
doing the podcast. Jesus Christ, let your guest answer. I remember <laughs> listening to those apps going, okay, it's not the Bright Darling show. Chill the fuck out. <laughs> right? Because I'm so used to, you know, this sounds so arrogant. I'm so used to working on television. Having worked on television, you know, the thing was, don't have awkward silences. You know, feel yeah. that air, do it all. Yeah. I had to learn myself to when you're doing a podcast, chill, breath. <laughs> right it, it's so different yeah. so we that and i did not expect it to do and get the numbers it did honestly i was so shocked because i kind of thought when my friends will listen some people will listen yeah. you don't expect it to go to number one and you're like shit how has that happened proving the point what you had just said people deal with grief every day of their lives mm. you know we just don't talk about it publicly. I think it, it was kind of taboo. I think people are, oh, I don't want to talk about that. It's the inevitable. Oh, you know, don't, don't, just don't do it. Don't darken the conversation. And then I decided, well, let's do a second season of the podcast. And I said, but this time I'm going to have to widen the net to not just parental loss. People were actually messaging me saying, oh, can you talk about, you know, losing a friend or losing a partner or someone that's lost a child? And I thought, oh my God, I don't know if I'm, I'm able to sit down with people and talk about the loss of a partner or a child. I'm not equipped for that. But then as soon as I realized that's not what death becomes them is, you don't need to be a therapist or a counselor. It's yeah. just two people having an open, honest conversation about grief, about death and about loss. And sometimes, you know, I said talking is therapy and I fully believe that listening is also therapy, just listening to someone. Yeah. So we did the second season and again, it was an array of people's stories. And I remember I'd go into recorded and I would only listen to sad piano music or sad songs, you know, to kind of get, maybe so strange. And then I would go in and I'd record for say 90 minutes, maybe two hours and I would leave. And for that whole day, I'd be really affected. And yeah. the author would know my whole mood would change and I wouldn't do anything the next day. And then I remember one time I would do two a day and I decided I can't do that level of two a day because I honestly do say this and I genuinely mean this. When or any of my guests that have opened up to me on the show, you know, I honestly do leave with a piece of their sadness. It stays, yeah. it does stay with you. It's a very, it's a very odd thing. I don't do super amount of research for Death Becomes Him purely because I want the conversations to be organic. I don't want to know everything. So I know the person they've lost, you know, how they've lost. I'm very good with dates, but I let the person that I'm sitting down with, they kind of narrate and they decide the tone of, of where we're going. But okay. there've been some moments where it's been just so tragic and you know people have talked about you know losing a child or suicide or you know murder and I'm just sitting there in awe of these people and thinking my god you are you like, sit down here now and be so articulate you know yeah. and I always say I, I just send people dms on instagram it's so funny and I just say this is on a public platform I fully understand if this is a no because it really is so public. And yeah. people are like, no, I, I and what was really good for me was when I came around to um getting people for season two, they were so aware of the podcast and it was something I never thought would happen. Wow. You know, oh yeah, I listened to that. And you know, I honestly get stopped about two things. It's Big Brother yeah. and Death Becomes Him. And I wow. never would I would never because they're so so different. Yeah. Right, obviously. And people would say on that episode you did, or that episode you did with Nadia, or that one with Pippa, or yeah. uh, that one there, you know. Um, and I'm like, people relate to different episodes as well, because it's triggered something yeah. in their 
life. I remember, you know, when Eileen O'Loughlin had, had come on to talk about losing her daughter, Annabelle. And I remember just in the middle of that, just going, wow, you know, how do you, how are you able to talk to me like this? And how are talking about suicide, losing a child? And I'm, it's just like, I, I just, or, you know, I, you, I, even now, I, people say to me that I have been brave and I've been strong. I always give props to those people who come in and, and you know, who, who don't do the job that I do, you know, and don't do all of that. And yeah. can sit down and be so articulate and, and, you know, and then they would see their, they'd say to me, I never thought I'd get lots of these messages and people doing this and that. There really is a knock-on effect. I always think that if people want to come in and have these conversations, people do reach out and go, oh my God, thank you. You know, you've helped me. Yeah. I did not think it was honestly going to be as big as it became, especially because it is about death. But in saying that, Maraid, we always try to add humour to it. Yeah. And we always try to have a laugh in the middle of it. Because I think with Irish people, I think we've always used humour together. Yeah. You know, as a family, we've always used humour. Mm-hmm. But like, it's tough. And we recorded, I've done four seasons of, of Death Becomes In. We've, I finished, I recorded the last episode in July or August last year. And it went out in November. Because all of last year, we were trying to have a baby. So okay, I, yeah. I, I, when I finished on death last year, I've not gone, I've not gone back into record. I'm, I'm in the process now of starting with season five of the podcast and I've got names and I've got, you know, I'm going to do seven episodes, but again, it's because we were trying to have a baby and I was so, I wanted to be so focused on the joy with that. And obviously there's ups and downs with that and it, it was not easy, but I just couldn't then introduce death because I know what I'm like when I'm in that frame of mind of doing yeah. those episodes. And even now that Blake is here, I'm very, it's odd. I'm very fearful of opening that door again. I know what it's, you mean. It's, it's kind tricky. of like you need to protect this, this space that you're in. And it, I just totally understand that even though it's not going to affect anything, it's not going to change your, your life or your day to day. It It is kind of now that you have a child, it's like, okay, well, I want to protect every little aspect of how I am around her and how I am in our home. And that makes complete sense, you know? And I don't want to be sad when I'm with her. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be, and I know that sounds so ridiculous. I don't want to be sad when I'm with her. Of course, Life is tough. There'll be times when I'm sad, but purposefully putting myself in a situation. But the one thing is I get messages. Like, honestly, every day I will get a message about death becomes him every day. And it's something I never, ever expected. Like just because my friend Donal had said to me that when I talk about my mom, he's like, I see a vulnerability in you. He said that I think people don't see. And I was like, well, they'll they'll never see that because no, no, no. And it was, and the author said, you have to, you have to, you have to. So in a way, the way I was bullied, Donal and Arthur (laughs) bullied me. This is true. They were like, they fully bullied me. And I said to Arthur, well, if I'm doing it, you're going to have to do it with me. And then I said, my friend Pippa, then I was like, my friend Nadia. And I just done Dancing with the Stars. I was going into Dancing with the stars and Nikki Byrne was the host I said to Nikki we were literally going on side of stage and I remember I'd asked him he said yes straight away before he was introduced live and then Lottie Ryan was on the show with me oh, and yes, then yeah course. and then Des, yeah. Des Bishop had been on the season before me and I'd met him with my friend Kai and I said he said yes I'll do it and then Nadia Ford's also my friend so in a way I was able to kind it of... It was like, it was meant to happen because isn't it 100%. funny when this idea is like the, the seed is planted, 
it's almost it starts becoming a situation where you can't say no. It's like these people were like thrown at you. You're like, okay, well, I have to do it. Yeah, I remember standing beside Nikki Bird and they were like, welcome to Dancing with Stars. I was like, I've got a podcast. Yeah, he was like, oh yeah, I thought it was Grana. Nick, and then Nikki Bird. And I was like, yeah. And literally we talked. I remember he said he literally had an hour. There was so much going on. I think we sat there for nearly two hours and it was right before the pandemic. Wow. It was right. This it was never supposed to be a pandemic podcast. It was always yeah. being released in March because I was all, I was off the show in and my contract ended. I was off the show in March, mm. so I was always going to put it on in March. And I never thought people would message me saying, "Thank you so much. I've walked an extra two miles because I was listening to the podcast." Aww. You know, people were saying to me, "Oh my god, I'm crying one minute, I'm laughing the next," and it was just it really is. I'm so proud of that podcast and to me I would if I was only remembered for one thing that I've done in my whole entire life in the job whatever the job is I do <laughs> it would have to be death becomes him yeah. you know and like Arthur and I do that ourselves it's not sponsored it's, it's not it's, it's not that it's just something and I'm just yeah. you know like we would cast it all I'd we'd question it we'd edit it we, we we'd just do it ourselves with you know and it's just I'm just so proud of what even if it was just four seasons of it Mm-hmm. And there will be more. I'd just be so proud of yeah. them because they, they've genuinely helped so many people. I'm doing that in a cocky yeah. way. They genuinely have. And it's, people have contacted me and, you know, true. and said yeah. that. Yeah. And it, 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 it is a tough, difference. Yeah. it's tough when you're recording it, you know, but what I have to do is for a day or two, I am a bit, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. And then you just, you just have to, you just have to push on. I'm sure it's the same with you. If you're recording, you know, cracking on and you're talking about death or grief or loss in, in episodes. Yeah. It's the same thing. You still have to find the light, I suppose, don't you? And the positives exactly. yeah. in the conversations. Yeah. The crack in cracking on, we might say. <laughs> That's an Irish thing. Yeah. Asher, I love the crack. Yeah. What? What? <laughs> okay. Well, I just want to thank you for being so open and vulnerable. And I think your friend Donal is right. You do have a vulnerability, but also just like such a, it's, I think it's really nice how you light up when you talk about your mom and you are so, as you said, you don't fuck with grief. Grief doesn't fuck with you. And it's so clear from the way you speak. And I just hope that you can take stock of that. And you're aware of just how amazing you have, you know, evolved on this journey. And the podcast is incredible. It helps so many people, including me. And I'm, I just want to thank you for that. So no, listen, I you. appreciate that. Thank you so much. And, you know, I would never have thought sitting down there in 2019, you know, that first conversation with Arthur, that yeah. it would have led to three more seasons yeah. and the reach it's had and the amount of downloads and stuff. And, but also I think it's people like yourself and people that will, will share it. And I'm so blessed that, and you know, yourself doing a podcast, we've done it all through Instagram. It's all been yeah. online and word of mouth. And that's why I'm so lucky that people get so much from it. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Is there a second crack on example? I mean, we've, We've gone for it, so there's no pressure. But if you did have something that you wanted to add, I, I, I suppose I'm going to say life yeah. in general. I suppose life in general, especially in you know the industry that that I'm in. You know, there's been situations in life where you think you're going to get something, and you're told no, it's gone to someone else, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, how have they got it, and I haven't got it? Yeah. Or you're in a situation and they don't want you anymore. They're telling you to fuck off and they're giving it to someone else. <laughs> you know, I suppose in the, in the industry that I've chosen to be in willingly and, you know, I suppose being on social media and being in the public eye, mm-hmm. it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's not as 
easy as people think it is. There are so many pressures. You know, I always say that, you know, the struggle, struggle is real. The hustle is real. Yeah. And being self-employed, there's been loads of times in my career since being on Brief Brother in 2001 where I've debated, shit, do I, do I keep doing this? Do I, do, I, do, I, do I keep moving on? Do I crack on or do I just stop? Do yeah. I try and find you know, a normal job. Do I try to go back to Ryanair, go back to going like this? But listen, life in general is tough for people, especially now, the pandemic, the cost, everything. It's a shit show. So I'm just thinking we all just kind of have to dig deep, don't we? And just try and push on in a way that we can. And, you know, carrying on from, you know, the last crack on, you know, with mom and stuff. So you just have to get out of bed every day and just give it your best shot. That's all you can do. What do you think you would be doing if like Big Brother never happened? Like, do you think you'd still be at Ryanair now? Would you? (laughs) Maybe maybe not Ryanair. Maybe not Ryanair. My dream job, my dream job was to work in Selfridges on the, when you were on the ground floor and you were telling people where to go. Where's the fragrance department? It's over there by the left. I want to go to laundry on this that's that was the dream with the yellow badge yeah. you know that, that was the dream you know I, I love being around people in customer service but realistically I probably just would have married someone older and rich <laughs> amen I mean listen that's probably what I would have done that's listen that's probably what I would have done yeah I loved my job right now I loved flying I'm talkative I, I love you know chatting with people and I used to have so much fun in that job so maybe I may would have continued flying, I yeah. think. I think. So it's the best job. Did you have to quit your job when you were going on Big Brother? Or were you like, look, I'm going to be back after the summer? Yes, I'm going to be back. I was on annual leave um, from the May. And I was due to fly back, fly, due to start back at Ryanair September 1st, 2001. But even in that August, I, I said I was going back. I won in July, 27th of July. And even in August, I said, I'm going back because I had 70 grand in the bank. This was like fucking hell, 10 million quid back. Like 70 grand's a lot of money. Yeah. Even now, 70,000 pounds tax-free. Jesus Christ, that's life change. Get yourself a house with that. Yeah. I remember thinking, I remember thinking at like 23, I'm so rich. Yeah. I am so, I'm the richest person I know. It was an odd, it was an odd thing. It was an odd thing. You know, I remember, I remember, the, I remember this chatting with Davina and she, they put live, the 70 grand went into my bank, live on air and I went, but it didn't, it didn't. So I remember going to the cash point the next day and going, oh my God, oh my God. And it went, it went minus five quid. I was like, how am I? Because obviously I was in my overdraft for no fucking money. I worked at Ryanair. But that was just for telly. I went, when did I get the money? But I do remember I've got myself with a, I remember putting money in the account to make sure I could see the 70 grand. And I've got a picture somewhere of me in 2001 with the, you know, your balance printed. And it said 70,000 pounds. And I remember thinking, oh my God. But I was due to, to go back. And then I ended up getting a production deal with Blaze Television. And they were they were making SMTV Live CD UK. And yeah. I was on contract to do a documentary with them, The Life of Brian. And they're paying me, you know, money for that. And I thought, well, I won't go back to Ryanair. And I remember I resigned then just in the August of 2001. And then that December, I started hosting... SMTV Live with Tess Daly and 
Yeah, my, that was, I mean, I was so bad at the start. Like, I mean, so bad. Really? Never, oh, yeah, of course. I'd never hosted TV before. I didn't. And when you're 23, you think you can do anything. That's the strange thing. Yeah. I was really unaffected by life, really, or what people were thinking at that point. And I thought I had nothing to lose. I'd come off this, you know, reality TV show. I, uh, you know, Tess Daly, I'd seen her on LA Pool Party. She's obviously beautiful. And I was working with Kat Dealey. Mm. icon and yeah. uh, Louise Redknapp and I'm thinking how has like how has this happened and I remember hosting that with Tess and I was like I am dreadful but thankfully <laughs> but I was I couldn't fucking read an order cue take a direction in the ear I didn't know what to do I'm like hey, what <laughs> live on air what do you mean turn to the wrong camera I, I didn't I didn't know anything but thankfully Back then, people were endeared by that. That that yeah. wasn't a big thing. Where if I did that now, I'd be cancelled. Oh my yeah. god! There's no way I could have survived the success I had then and how I learned live on air to do. I'm not sure I can still do the job properly. Whatever presenting <laughs> is, but I think I've improved. But I, there's no way I could have had that success yeah. then with social media. Yeah. God, no, it'd be dreadful. So when you do live TV now and presenting gigs, do you still get nervous? Always. I will. Oh, I do the Real Housewives for um, ITV. Yeah. Um, and let me tell you, and that's that's taped. We're not live on that one. I will always be nervous. If I'm um, doing a collaboration with someone or hosting an event or doing anything, I will always be nervy. I've always been nervous. But I think the nerves are good because what they do is they, they keep you on your toes. Yeah. The adrenaline kicks in. The adrenaline, and, yeah. you know, I'm not lax. Sometimes the voice will go. Sometimes, you, you, you know, you kind of get, you, and I, I'm not, hello, and, and then it's like, come on, drive through. I, I've always been nervy, but also, I, like, I sometimes, uh, I get jobs. I say to Arthur, oh my God, like, I, I can't believe they've asked me. It's so strange. I, it's not imposter syndrome. It's that thing of going, how is this progressing 21 years later? It's the, <laughs> yeah. Like you really do have to go, how has this continued for 21 years? It's but I think there's something quite nice about, I mean, obviously imposter syndrome isn't great, but a level of it, it, it keeps you grateful. It's quite nice yeah. to actually remain in this place of gratitude. Yes, and I always think, how, you know, can anyone ever walk on the set of a TV show, right, in gorgeous clothes and gorgeous shoes and never be in awe of it? I'm, I'll yeah. always be in awe of it. And I'll always yeah. be intrigued at how it works and the order cue and your earpiece and three, two, one, you're live and it's your gig and, you know, you're doing it all. Yeah. If, if you ever think that's normal, well, then there's something wrong with you because yeah. that should never be normal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the board's in front of you. Did you, I feel like I still wish we should just wrapped in a documentary for RTE about our surrogacy that comes out in January, I think. And they have, you know, they have that clipboard. I'm yeah. like, got to put it on my Instagram. I'm so excited. <laughs> so no, it it's, is. It's still exciting. Yeah. It's still, I, I still can't believe that I get to do the job. Even been asked to go on a podcast or be asked to do anything. I, I'm still very, very grateful. You know, I was 22 years old from Rathangan. I had not much experience when I entered the Big Brother house and it really did change my life and I'll be forever grateful. Okay, so I have a quick lightning round that we Go. will get through. If there's any questions you don't want to answer, feel free to just, you know, let me know. Okay, so first question, your personal idea of the crack, an ideal night out, night in? No, I have to be night out, especially what happened the last few years. So my thing is getting ready for me is equally as important as the going out. 
So that's with yes. all your friends. Say my girlfriends and my guy friends, and we're getting our hair done, we're getting our makeup done, we're having champagne, we have we have a lunch. For me, it's the getting ready is so important. And going out, cocktails, dancing, gossiping, having a laugh, you know, and just being totally stupid. A habit you can't crack. Mm. Knowing when to leave the party. <laughs> knowing when to go, knowing when to leave with elegance the same way I arrived. <laughs> yeah, all my friends, we're all like this. Two well, o'clock. Well, then we're that's like okay. This. If they're, if they're like all this. in it together. I we all say 2 a.m. a cutoff, 2 a.m. is a cutoff. Two o'clock, we're like, I'd say three, I'll book the car three. We're then like this. I've cancelled the car. Are we, are we going to go to the after after? It's just knowing when to kind of go. Yeah. But again, listen, it is what it is. It's yeah. not for me. It's it's not the drinking. It's not, it's not. That's fun. It's that, that experience with your friends and that closeness and the way people open up and the vulnerability. And also, your, I just love the when your friend says, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, my God. Or, you know, helping them through a situation. I just I never want that bubble to end of what those nights out mean in a way. Yeah. And I suppose it's just knowing. Also, I'm lucky. My husband, Arthur, doesn't drink. He's, he's never drank. So he's always able, he's always on this, you know, quite coherent in a way. And he'd be like this to me, I'm taking that because you're not recording it. Thank you. And he's very good. Or I'm, I'm like, Bleh! he's like, I'm deleting that. Yeah, no need for that. Oh my God. Because yeah. that's the worst part. Like sometimes I will wake up and watch my Instagram story and I'm like, no, someone needs to intervene. Yeah. You need, you need an author. Yeah. I need, Not just okay. for Christmas. <laughs> you need an author. So it's it's knowing when to kind of go and when to be able to. Many a time I've been ushered out of a room and all that, you know. But yeah, it's just. But listen, whoever wants, no one wants the party to end. Okay, uh, the first time you cracked on. So do you remember your first kiss? I do remember my first kiss, and I remember it being. God, when was it? it okay, I done my leaving cert. In 1996, so my first kiss, this sounds so odd, was in 1996, I think. Okay. 96 or 97. I was a late bloomer. Listen, there wasn't all the gays in Rathanga when I was in school in the <laughs> early 90s. I, I mean, I didn't think there was. There fucking must have been. Of course there must have been. Um, I remember being on holiday and meeting a, a guy who will remain nameless. And okay. I snogged him and then... Uh, I was chatting and met some of his friends and then they were holiday reps and the, the company had asked me would I want to do a season and would I want to be a holiday rep? And I, yeah, I met with them and then I remember I flew back about, let's see, the following, following year I flew back and I became a holiday rep and him and I dated for a bit and that was my first relate very very odd. It's a very odd thing. I remember when it, I initially snogged him feeling this just guilty and I oh, thought really? what I was doing was wrong it was very odd I think it was the catholic the conflicting yeah. thing of you know what we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do I remember it being very very scary and I remember thinking there's no one I can talk to about this and he 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 was British so he was you know at that time I thought he was so sophisticated he was older he had his he had his shit yeah. together you know and I was like this naive guy from the country in Ireland it's very, very strange. I, I there was nothing. I, I didn't know where to kind of put all of that. I told a friend of mine 
a girlfriend of mine and it was almost me coming to terms with my own sexuality and me going, well, I'm definitely gay. I knew I didn't fancy girls. I never, girls like may have fancied me growing up or in school, but they were always just my friends or I'd send them a mm-hmm. Valentine card. There was, there was never, and I never felt any pressure to pretend. I was very, very lucky. I didn't have to pretend. I mean, how could I have pretended? Like, let's be honest. <laughs> I would have got a fucking Oscar. There's no way I could have pretended to be straight. Ever. <laughs> Ever. I remember on SMTV Live, all my characters in the sketches were camp and Irish because I couldn't do accents and I was myself. So basically... <laughs> So it was what it was. Yeah, someone or something that always cracks you up. It can be a movie, a comedian, a person. Oh, actually, I will. I, I think so. I always watch the Graham Norton show and just yeah. always like laugh. I think Graham Norton is or Alan Carr. Love like, Alan someone Carr. Like that. Yeah, I watched I, Alan's so good, chatty man. Graham Norton, I'm obsessed with. I've got. I remember I went on the show and I got a chance to meet him. He's just so lovely, and he's someone and someone like Alan that I've always kind of looked up to in just yeah. their confidence, their braveness, but also how they do their job so effortlessly. It's you, 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 you almost think like you're in Graham's living room and he's yeah. just sat down with his friends and he's having a conversation. And I just think he's so funny, and I just think he's so. Uh, quick but also with Graham he does the the alcohol he does his books he does so much stuff and yeah someone like Graham Norton is just or Alan a time you cracked under pressure oh god yeah of course marriage that's pressure yeah of course (laughs) (laughs) throwing throwing something at Arthur Uh, but crack cracked under pressure see I'm very good at hiding and pretending in work situations. You know, if it's all going to shit, mm-hmm. you know, something's happened. I'm quite good at being, but I suppose personally, cracking under pressure. I suppose not so much kind of, I mean, yeah, relationships. I suppose marriage, like, let's be honest, my Arthur and I are married seven years, you know. Mm. But marriage, marriage is tough and sometimes you... You know, what I struggled with and what I've always struggled with in relationships is not putting myself first. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I've always said I've always been, you know, spoiled, but like self-funded spoiledness. I'm not afraid to work and, you know, do all that. But I I suppose it's being the only boy and growing up and being spoiled in that way. Well, listen, relationships are really, really tough. Mm -hmm. You know, and, you know, and I'm in a really good relationship, hence why I'm married, Arthur. But relationships before that just weren't good for you and just going, this is unacceptable and I can't, you know, oh, you kiss someone again, you you know, those situations. I've definitely cracked under pressure due to relationships. Okay, so I love reality TV and I like to finish on the question, who is your favourite reality TV star? Oh, you know what? I'd have to go. So I've been lucky enough to do, you know, reality over the years and meet so many amazing people. But I'm going to go with someone from the Real Housewives franchise. Mm-hmm. I, 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 it, it has to be two people. That's fine. Two, two ladies. And it, Bethany Frankel from New York. Great one. Or Nene Leakes from Atlanta. Yes. I miss because, Nene. Yeah, because those two ladies, when they went on The Real Housewives, uh, Bethany from New York and Nene Atlanta, you know, they had, and they'd say themselves, probably very ordinary lives. And then they became, yeah. A, so fucking rich, and then B, so, you know, famous and successful and what, acting and books and then 
Bethany with Skinny Girl and everything, yeah. but also the chaos of their lives and the situations, you know, they've gotten themselves in. And on camera, Bethany 100% delivered, as did Nini. Like, I would watch them and you'd have so much access to their lives. And then, you know, and then Bethany with her, the husband and the, the divorce. And then, you know, Nini and, her, and Greg passing away not that long ago. And then her, you know, the whole thing's happened with Bravo and what she's suing them for and the fallout with Andy Cohn. Just, I think, Nini Leakes and Bethany Frankel, for me, I mean, I think they deserve it. Don't you agree? Yeah. Phenomenal. They're a great choice. I mean, I think you're right as well because they're both housewives that appreciate the value and just putting it all out there putting it all out there and yeah. I, I, I and now you know as kind of casts change over the years we do get people who are hiding certain things and I find it so, it's like you know even with the Lisa Renna thing and people are always like let's talk about the husband I'm like Tell us about the fucking husband. What is yeah, going uh, on? She was going to throw a glass at her. Tell <laughs> her about the husband. Exactly. She needs, Lisa Rinna needs to come off that pedestal just slightly. She, Someone yeah. needs to, either she needs to be paused for a season. Mm-hmm. I just think the whole thing. Now, listen, I have empathy. You know, she had lost her mom during the taping of the last season of the show, Lois, yeah. and she said herself, maybe she Should shouldn't have. have went back. Yeah. But, I, I liked, I still think the girls were right to hold her accountable. And she, you know, I only watched the second reunion there two nights ago uh, to watch the third episode. You know, and she said it's not, you know, she can't blame the grief for all of it. And yeah. she apologized. And I go, okay, well, I like that side of her. But also I think when you're on reality TV, you can't be guarded. Yeah. I think there's certain stuff that people shouldn't go there with, right? Like kids shouldn't be brought into it, you know, to an extent husbands shouldn't be but that the kim and lisa thing we should have known because they both brought it on camera exactly and I feel then it should have been you know should have played out but i do think you can't be oh do you want to talk about that yeah you can't get all that money by the way you can't get all that money and give me fucking nothing exactly. i need to see it all we have I to see to... it all and that's the price you pay you know do you remember ramona and Bethany going at it one time about um, Bethany being a slut and kissing women yeah, and who she fucked. Mention it all. She opens her legs. Mention it all. You kissed a girl. You did this. You drank. You did porn. And she's like, mention it all. And I'm like, can you imagine being a cameraman on that? And I remember Nene Leakes getting into it one time with Kenya Moore and hair flying and garments flying. Like, I think for me, reality TV stars now and having done reality myself, you gotta give it you gotta give it you gotta give it and i think if you say i said this because this is how i felt i think people are more forgiving if you own it i think if people own what they're doing yeah and go i said it because of this but yes someone that's not afraid to walk away from drama and someone's not afraid to go there yeah you know yeah but i always think you gotta be transparent but definitely bethany or nini phenomenal ladies great choice listen you and me we should start a bravo podcast because we can chat for days um okay so i just want to say a huge thank you for doing this you have like just been i mean such a fun guest also such an easy guest like you are just the best talker and you're so wise i think this episode is going to be a lot of fun for people to listen to but also very enlightening and helpful and i appreciate you being so vulnerable about your grief and sharing stories you know about your mom and losing her and you've just been an absolute dream so thank you so much brian thank you Maraid. And i've never been called wise before i'm going to tell oh. arthur Maraid called me wise <laughs> yeah it's because i'm wearing glasses today <laughs> you tricked me 
I tricked you. I pretended. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for asking. I appreciate it.